With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Heads Up Hockey with your host, Jersey Joe. And we're waiting, Jim. And it is our good friend, Jake Wakeley. How are you doing? How you doing, guys? Pretty good thus far, just waiting on Jim. The volume's Let's... a little... Oh. We got Jim on. Hello, Jim. Hello. Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the very first edition of Heads Up Hockey, the podcast. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. And I want to thank Jank for coming on. Joe, you're the man. It's a great day. Why, thank so, you. Of course, always, <laughs> always. Uh, I was just hanging out. Always with stalling. Him. Yeah, you know, well, you know, when you see a friend and you grew up with a friend and you hadn't seen him in 26 years uh, and he just drops by, it's good to see him. But anyway, it's Tuesday <laughs> night. Let's set up the air table discussion. And it's a Jim Barringer production. I'm trademarking it now. So it's officially in the trademark productions. So let's set up the air table. Let's get around to it. And let's start us off with some devil's hockey. Um, some big fire news. and brimstone to it. That's it. So big thing to the, big thing over the weekend. Been talking with a lot of people. Followed up. I actually talked to our guy today. He actually called me this afternoon when my buddy was over. Uh, just, we were just talking about devil's ownership. He said it's a, it's a mess right now. Uh, don't know what they're doing. As you saw in the report by Larry Brooks, and then as I put out today on Last Word on Hockey, just a lot of things going on. They really don't know what the direction they're heading in. A lot of different changes. Uh, coaching right now, we don't know. Could be Peter Laviolette, could be Gerard Gallant, could be Elaine Nazardine as far as the general manager goes. Could it be Fitzgerald? Could it be somebody else? A lot of guys getting interviewed. And with that set up, Jake. Let me get your thoughts on all of it. Well, first off, um, before I get into that, I just want to say, just be happy that we're not like the Buffalo Sabres right now. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. They've been through five coaches, three GMs, and the nine straight seasons they missed the playoffs. They're just an absolute mess. It's a train wreck. So It's a dumpster fire. As for the Devils, um, my thoughts, I mean, owner, ownership is going to always have a say in what you do. They're the highest up, so, but I think first and foremost, like, 
it seems like the ownership is more worried about, you know, purchasing teams like the Mets and all this stuff instead of sort of, you know, looking at what's in front of them with the Devils and New Jersey and everything else. But I think they need to get they need to get this GM thing sorted out first and foremost, and they need to they really need to get this coach thing figured out. Yeah, they got time, but if you implement the GM and then the coach going into like the draft and then you know free agency, you, you can use the, the coach to pitch to the player what style of system he's going to be bringing to the table and what you have as core pieces moving forward. If you don't have a coach, it just it makes it hard to pitch the players on to want to come there. Jake, you perfectly started off the podcast the way I actually want to introduce my upcoming article on uh, the Puck Authority. Um, I basically mentioned what you just said. You know, there's a domino effect of, like, this tree of hirings. So, like you said, with the way that uh, Joshua Harris and David Blitzer, um, they go on an investment spree. And so they should have used that time and resources to, A, they should have just hired uh, Tommy Fitzgerald in my, in my bird's eye view of seeing that story unfold before our eyes during the season and seeing, you know, I, I do like Gallant a lot. He's done a lot to improve uh, unproven teams with untapped potential. I do really like Peter Laviolette, and I did see that he has multiple 100-point seasons, barring a few firings and a few midseason hirings, and he does look like a really sound coach, and I really like them both. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be uh, angry with either of the decisions, but I just wish ownership would just deliver on you know, the GM and the coaching hirings at this point. Yeah, I just I think I think for the GM, I think I think Fitzgerald is the guy. Like honestly, at this point, like just take the interim tag off him. Like he's done enough in my eyes to, from what he did at the trade deadline for what he got for Big Coleman. I I was amazed that he even got a second round pick for Andy Green. That just blew me away. Yeah, but, it blew a lot of Devils fans away, to be honest. But the fact and. You know, Blake Coleman is underrated around the NHL, but the, the fact that the Devils got a first-round pick and a prospect like Nolan Foote tells you how much teams actually value the type of player that Coleman is and what he brings on a night-to-night basis. And- yeah, I mean, look, he was definitely one of those guys. Like, I mean, did, did he did he overachieve this year? Maybe. He was playing with some talented players, but he put himself in the right spot every night to be successful. And they, and what better time to sell a guy than at his highest point? And his highest point was at the trade deadline. Absolutely. And, and oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, if if we put it in like a investment point of view on the hockey side, you know, there was like Jim said, there was no other great time to trade him and I was just coming back from uh, visiting my sister that day I was coming back in February and Jim messaged me that day uh, Blake Coleman is not playing tonight he's not even in the building and I remember the first rumor was Renaud Lavoie says oh he's getting traded to uh, Colorado and then it goes oops uh, 
then he finds out uh, he goes to the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I found out Blake, uh, Blake Coleman gets traded for Nolan Foot, and I said, "Hold a second. I remember you, Jake, pointed out in a t- in a tweet that I put that last draft in 2019, which occurred about a year and six days ago. Um, <laughs> so, so that's the 21st of of this June. So, All right. think about that." It's crazy. All right, just just to just to keep stay on the ownership direction. So I just want to let everybody know that when Ray Shiro was fired, I put a thing out on last word on hockey. Jake Price saw it. Um, Joe, I know saw it. I, I got a lot of feedback on it. That shock and awe firing about what really happened. And in there, I put a direction, one voice, and I've been preaching it all week on Twitter, getting into people explaining to them that you need this all of a sudden i see pucks and pitchforks put something out of message to new jersey devils owners figure it out they need a direction (laughs) i mean you know you want to just piggyback that's fine just give me credit for the fact that i've been telling you for the last i don't know three months that they need a direction jake said it best just name fitzgerald the general manager the draft lottery is two weeks away just make a decision and have a direction because right now you just look like a dysfunctional team that doesn't know what they're doing. And in fact, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> He's not wrong. You're not wrong. No. <laughs> Joe, you, you know, you know, as well as I do, you know, the three of us, we, we, I watch the games every single night. Like, unless I've got something so important going on, I don't, I don't miss a game, and like I, I try and get up the road to Toronto or Ottawa to a game when I can, just to, you know, get a live view of things. And from what I watched this year, this team had so much promise going into the season. They got so hyped, maybe overhyped, but they had all the pieces in place to contend for a playoff spot, and you know, maybe not go on a far run, but they could have maybe surprised some people. But then maybe after, made after that Florida, maybe made the playoffs. Yeah, after that Florida game to begin the year, when they had a four-one lead in the Winnipeg game at the home opener, it just seemed like whenever the Devils got a lead and things started going good for them, things then just you know fell off a cliff. It's was, crazy because Joe and I were in the building for that Winnipeg game, and you know every person that we've had on, we all go back to that Winnipeg game that first game of the year Blake Coleman has the highlight real goal everything's going right Schneider's playing well and then all of a sudden cramps up and it everything just went down south and it seemed like that game set the tone and they just anytime they fell behind they just didn't want to come back or just didn't have the urge to come back and and Joe and I have actually been high on Nazarene because we've liked what he's done. Yeah. And, and they've been competing a little bit better. Um, but if you're really looking to let, go outside the organization, my point has been just stay status quo. And if you can get Gromberg next year, then just do yeah, it. Absolutely. That- yeah, that's, that's plan C. But Jake, tell tell me who you are leaning on right now, coaching wise. I mean, I I'm with 
I'm with Jim on that one. Like, I mean, stay status quo, wait for Gronberg next year. Everything he's done with young players over in Europe says that he's a great coach. His record shows that he's a great coach. He's a player's coach. But if the Devils are going to go with an experienced coach in the NH, like an NHL coach, and it's not Nazanin, Gerard Gallant is hands down my guy. That would, that's my number one choice. Everything he took a Vegas team that was supposed to be dead last in the NHL as an expansion team and took them to the Stanley Cup Finals. He turned a Florida team that was bad. They won the division. But as for Laviolette, as for Laviolette, I mean, Claude Giroux. Everybody knew he was going to be a great player, but as soon as Laviolette got to Philadelphia. Giroux just turned, flicked a switch, turned his game on, and obviously he became the superstar he is today. He he fixed Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl was, you know, he was very good because he was drafted high, but Eric Stahl came into his own playing under him in Carolina, and then Philip Forsberg came into his own in Nashville playing under Laviolette. And Subban was absolutely lights out in Nashville playing under Peter Laviolette. So there's some familiarity there, but the only thing that worries me with Laviolette is, you know, he gets – Gallant's the same way. He gets a little hot-tempered sometimes. But I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a coach like that is exactly what some of these young kids might need. Like, the odd, you know, kick in the rear end just to kind of get them going and get the best out of them. But it's hard to tell today. That used to be the thing for the old NHL. Nowadays, it's, it's a whole analytics thing and – don't get me started on analytics, want to get, please. We're, we're not going to really go full analytics, but we need a hybrid. And that's why I think, you know, at this point in the game, we need to stay status quo with Nazardine and then wait it out and see if you can get Gronberg because he's a hybrid who does both the eye test and he does both the analytics side too. So um, I do like Nazardine, but I think he has some of his faults in putting – Jack Hughes on different lines, similar to his prede- his predecessor, but um, but he still has a better system. And for Jack Hughes to be successful, like Nico started really, Nico was on fire once Taylor Hall got traded. So we started to see, you know, the number one center that we drafted first. He started coming into his own. But I think for people sitting saying, "Oh, hello," Jack Hughes had, you know, twenty one points. He had seven goals, but. I mean, besides Taylor Hall, and who was he really playing with this year? Like, half the time he was stuck with Wayne Simmons, who, you know, Wayne, no offense to Wayne Simmons. I love Wayne Simmons, but it sort of looked like he was skating up the ice with cement blocks. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was bad. I mean, my whole biggest problem was the fact that you drafted him as a center, you did play him on the wing, you know, okay, get him going a little bit. But you never played him at second line center. No, and he was most comfortable at center. He did not look comfortable at all on the wing. And he when just... you draft a player that high – sorry to cut you off there. I just wanted to get my thought out here. Um, <laughs> when you draft a player that high, you need to put him in a position to be successful. Having him on the third line, on the fourth line with – Nobody's is, and he has to carry a line is not good. Jack Hughes can't carry a line. No, he, not now anyway. He will in a couple of years. He's got to put the muscle on first, though, right? Like, exactly, like Nico did this year. Exactly. 
Right. I, that's why I say at this point, you know, in the game, you know, the Devils have what at least nine months off to build the, each player up individually. I think this is going to be a great productive time where they can build that body mass index, like Jake is pointing out. And I do have to say this though: when you looked at Jack Hughes in his draft year, when he plays with other players who are fast, attacking, supportive that are very good moving or their feet around constantly. And Jack, when he does his little skate around the perimeter, he can move at high speeds and he can like, he can lateral pass it to his teammate without missing a spot. And I think he's going to be able to do that when he, like Jake said, adds an extra weight and, you know, he builds up his shooting game a little bit more. And I know he has a very lethal shot, but there's another player on the devils that has a very underrated shot. And he's a veteran, and his Travis Zajac needs to use that shot a little bit more. Yeah. Hughes, the same thing with Hughes, though. I found the thing I got frustrated with Jack this year was that he tried to do too much. Like, he was so used to being the guy and not using, like, the guys that he had around him. But also, like, when he's on a two-on-one, I found he was trying to pass instead of taking the shot when he should have. But at the same time, like, like Jim said, trying to carry a line. Like, it's hard to have success when Miles Wood is your winger or you're putting, you know, Kevin Rooney on the ice with you. Like, Jack Hughes was great when he was either with Palmieri or Gusev. But, yeah, it's true. Uh, it, Gusev actually looked a lot better than some of the other pairings, like Wayne Simmons. No offense to Simmons, but... Goose is an above-average skater, but he's improving his strides, but he's not perfect, but he's starting to get to NHL skating yeah, at least, as, which is a good thing. As soon as Gusev got put on that line with Jasper Bratt and uh, Pavel Zaka, I thought Bratt and Gusev both, their whole games just went to another level. Yeah, I mean, Gusev, it took him time because that was the big unknown. Nobody really knew – like how he would adjust to NHL ice. And I mean, it did take him a little bit, but he didn't look out of place. No, he looked like he, I thought he looked like he belonged in NHL. Definitely. I would agree with that. I mean, you know, you're going to get used to this, you know, smaller ice, but he's got one of the best set of hands in the national hockey league. And 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 a great set of eyes. Don't forget that. Yeah, his vision. I mean, we were saying, I think with Alex, I think it was who was on here, we were saying that, you know, he reminds us maybe like a Scott Gomez, a Patrick Elliott type passer, just the way he just, his vision and the way he passes. Absolutely. Yeah, his passing really reminds me of uh, a young Scott Gomez, you know, when he was in his prime, when he was actually good, you know. Before he went across the river. Yeah. Yeah, when he was a product of the system. <laughs> exactly. Just like David Clarkson was a product of the system. He was good with the Devils, and then he went to the Leafs, and he was, you know, absolutely garbage. You could say that about, like, Brian Gionta, yes. too. Yo, Gionta, he was captain of the Canadians, but he was never the same player after he left. No, he was not. And, and I was going to say, Andy Strickland did ask – uh, Brian Gianda that on the Camus Strick podcast goes, do you think outside of New Jersey, if you weren't a devil, do you think you could have been the same player you were in Montreal? He goes, no. Which proves your point. 
New Jersey Devils teach infrastructure. I don't know how many times I preach that. I don't know how many times that like Devils fans on social media. Anyway, the New Jersey Devils are famous for teaching infrastructure. You come to New Jersey, you're gonna play how we teach. You're not, and we'll work to your strengths, but we're also gonna help you get better in other areas. You've seen it with so many players that they've drafted over the years. Oh, and they're finally getting back to that drafting and developing. It's such a such a shame that you know Hughes or you know a guy like well they finally put Boquist down into the minors uh, to the AHL, which was good for him. But it's a shame like a guy like Hughes couldn't have like a year to develop someplace else. Yeah, and got rushed right into the NHL because and same goes for Larson. Like I think he would have been a lot better if they were able to like you know develop him the right way. Yeah, I, I think you could also say the same thing about Pavel Zaka. I think, Absolutely. I think Zaka, well, Zaka was what, put into the lineup at what, 19? Yep. So they, they rushed him, right? Cause, and they put him in the lineup because they didn't have anybody. Right. Like Jordan Tutu, I think, was still playing in their top six. Yeah, yeah. that was a crazy season. Yeah, it was, a, it was, that was what, that 15 draft? Yeah, Six, yeah, yeah, fifteen draft. They got him. At yeah, six. We, we, he was with Sarnia. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, look, but at nineteen, he was breaking Stamkos's records. I'm like, yeah, duh, he should be. You know, that was Reed Boucher. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Reed Boucher. But even Reed was like, yeah, he should be doing that. He's been there long enough. But still, I mean, but it was just a surprise pick. But like you said, there's so many guys, products of the system, and you know, developing and you know, preaching infrastructure. I mean, when there's talent, you know, they usually let them fly for those couple of years when they had that A-line, but those guys developed the chemistry that nobody will see like that. Devils will never see that kind of chemistry for a while. You might have it there. Maybe Nico and, and uh, Palms will have it if they keep Palmieri around, which I hope they do. Speaking of which, this is a nice transition to the media call that happened today uh, with Palmieri. Uh, he was, as I, as people saw on my Twitter, uh, he, the big t- takeaway for me is that he loves the organization. He believes in the organization. Uh, he likes the talent that's there, wants to be a part of it, and he loves New Jersey. And that's all you can ask for. I certainly believe, you know, a, a guy like him, you know, raised in New Jersey, you know, who is with his hometown team and, you know, embracing the fans, you know, not just Jim and I, but also having you watching eyeballs away in Ontario um, speaks high volume for him to feeling the, the positive vibes, despite, you know, the growing pains. Tell me what you think, Jake, on, uh, on what it means for Paul Mary to be here through better or for worse. Uh, I think with first we're going right into Paul Mary, the trade to acquire him, was an absolute steal. Um, I'll start off with that. And then he really – he came – first year, you know, he was playing with Camilleri and I think Zajac or Henrique, and he was scoring – you saw the scoring that he was capable of, that he wasn't getting in Anaheim because he was buried behind um, Getzlaff and Perry and Silverberg or, and all those guys. And then he when Hall came – he developed the chemistry, obviously, with Taylor Hall, and then the scoring continued. And then 
putting him with Nico, and which I think I think Paul Mary is probably better off suited to continue playing with with Nico Heischer moving forward in the long run. I think Paul Mary's shot is you know he's very, it's very underrated, but I feel confident in saying, and I'm I'm usually don't quote me on this because I'm usually wrong when it comes to this. I usually will say for a superstar or an elite player that, yeah, if they're with the Devils, yeah, they're going to re-sign. That, that's, that's the man in me. I'm not sort of thinking more into the reality perspective, but I feel confident in saying Kyle Palmieri will re-sign with the Devils to a long-term contract. He's from here. His family's here. He loves it here. He grew up here. And he just – the way he talks, he loves the area. He, even, and he said it today. I believe in the young players we have and the prospects that we have coming through this system. I want to be part of this solution and this winning culture that we're building moving forward. You don't hear that from players very often in the last year of their contract. They're always like, yeah, well, well that's a, I'll let my agent deal with that. You know, We'll see how it goes. I'm sure they'll talk. He's right out straight to the point, yeah, I want to be here. That speaks volumes to me anyway. That speaks volumes to a lot of people too. Certainly. I mean, I mean, you know, you didn't have that, you know, with Taylor Hall. It was like, oh, I'm not sure. A lot of mixed messages with the agent. He's like, ah, even when they did all these moves, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm not really sold on the coach, this and that. Paul Mary, ever since he's got here, he's a new, like you said, New Jersey born and bred, wants to be in here. He just, it's just something about it. And you don't, you don't have that Jersey factor. You have guys like that who are from here, born here, and want to play here. It means something to that fan base. It's the Jersey tude, man. It's the Jersey tude. <laughs> is that is that a, is that a new word we're coming Jersey, up with now? Yes, it, Jersey, it is it. Jersey tude. Okay, okay, I like it. it I like a, it. Okay, it's a New Jersey style attitude, lifestyle that. It's a special karma. You either have it or you don't, and Kyle Palmieri embraces it. You see it every time he does a wrist shot or a slap shot. Even against the Rangers he grew up watching as a kid, you know, he absolutely belongs here. Imagine if – I know this may sound like a pipe dream, but pipe dreams have come true in the past for Devils. Uh, What about getting South Jersey's uh, Johnny Coudreau in a trade in the offseason? Just think about it for a moment. I'm glad I'm another glad New Jersey that up because I actually have Johnny Goudreau here written down as one of my trade targets for the Devils in the off season. I'm not saying he's going to be the most realistic target I have here, but Johnny Goudreau is definitely somebody who I think the Devils could. Should they go after him? I don't know, but just because of his size, the Devils lack a lot of size. But it's not really – like, he needs size, but it's not so much a big man's game anymore. It's a small, skilled, fast game, and Johnny Goudreau is just that. And I think Johnny Goudreau would work absolutely wonders with Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes. That's the exact type of player that Hughes or Heischer needs to take the next step in their career and developing their game. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, could – could he come? Sure. The price, yeah, could be costly, but you never know. I mean, the fl- it all depends on what direction the Flames want to go in after this. I mean, they got to pay some guys, so who becomes expendable in Calgary? And, you know, does he need, does he need a new place to revive his career? I mean, look, 
guys come here and, you know, Paul Mary's career took off. It's a shame, like, a guy like the Devils could never get a guy like Bobby Ryan to come and play here because I think he probably would have embraced that New Jersey style as well. I think growing up with what he had with his family just wasn't – probably made him feel comfortable in his situation. I think that's probably one of the reasons why he didn't want to come back to the home state. So I think that that's a totally different topic for another day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I do get what you're saying. It's kind of like with Ontario, you have the Leafs and you, you always had, um, what was it? Uh, John Tavares with him sleeping in uh Leafs PJs in a Leafs bed <laughs> decked out. And he becomes a, he becomes a Maple Leaf not long ago. Well, it's funny you said that because like, I was just going to say is acquiring Johnny Gucho is also potentially a risk because I think he's got like a $6.5 million cap hit for the next two years. But he's also, he's also said earlier in his career that he was more of a Flyers fan growing up. So he wants to go, you know, play in Philadelphia at some point in his career. So, I mean, maybe he changes your mind if you actually used you came home anyway and you played for New Jersey, but is it a risk? Absolutely. But any trade is a risk. So, and yeah, it's, yeah, any trade you go for is a risk. I mean, you know, I've been, you know, people have been, you know, I've been in contact with some people, you know, speaking of like St. Louis, you know, because the Devils, you know, have to address a position, the backup goalie. Um, you know, somebody's like, somebody's like, oh, Somebody's like, oh, don't be surprised if the Devils and Blues make a trade. I was like, oh, really? I said, connect. I was like, connect the dots. I said, oh, Jake Allen. I said, oh, interesting. I'm like, so, Jake, I, I think, you know, having, what do you think if, you know, do you think a player like that, the Devils should go after to fill in their backup goalie position or should they go try to find somebody on that free agent market? I think Jake Allen would be an okay um, acquisition. I mean, he sort of, I mean, Bennington sort of took over the reins there in St. Louis, and then Allen's game kind of fell off, you know, every time he was put in the net. St. Louis didn't really know what they were getting. But I, a couple of guys I have for goalies that I think the Devils could target, um, Thomas Grice, Robin Leonard. But the, the big one that I would like to see the Devils get is a backup goaltender. If they buy out Corey Schneider, which – I personally think is going to happen. I, I think Corey's played his last game in a Devils uniform. I think Anton Hudobin is is definitely a guy the Devils should really consider going after. That guy has been a phenomenal backup since he was in Boston to Dallas to Carolina. Everywhere he goes, that guy just finds a way to win games when he's just you know thrown in under the fire for a game here, a game there. I think he'd be the perfect option to go with um, Mackenzie Blackwood myself. What are your thoughts? I think he's very underrated, underappreciated, and he has a lot of potential. And he usually gives the Devils fits every single time he plays us. And I do believe a guy like him would fit uh, a veteran need right behind Mackenzie Blackwood and help push his game up to the next level. But um, I do think with the defense getting younger, bigger, stronger, uh, with Kevin Ball and a few others, I believe it'll make him a lot more easier to play and win in that young environment. Yeah, I mean, I like Hudobin. I've always been a fan of Hudobin. 
when he was in Boston. I mean, look at the product. Like, look at just the backup goaltenders these guys have been producing uh, in Boston. Like, they figure out ways. Like, now Halaki's staying there, and then he's got – they got Hodobin down in Dallas. You, know, you just – Something about that system, too. But, yeah, Hudobin is so underrated in this um, league. He feels like he's undervalued half the time. Um, he, he just steps right in when Bishop goes down and the stars just keep rolling. Um, again, though, the devil, again, one of the major areas of concern is that defense. I mean, yeah, these, what these backup goals have been doing, they've been thriving in front of better defenses. The young devil's defense a lot of times make goalies have to work harder than they should. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I definitely agree with that. And I mean, we can all, I think we can all agree that defense, well, they need offense too, but the defense is probably the number one area that the general manager, whoever that should be, um, needs to address this off season. I think that's the number one area we can all agree on. I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent, Joe. I absolutely must say this. Um, the devils must get a puck moving defenseman on the left-handed side, as well as a big physical guy, which I think they already have a big physical guy or two coming up from the uh, junior ranks. And Nikita Ohotyuk, who's already an ELC player, um, get Daniel Misuel over. I think he could do wonders, and that could allow um, Kevin Ball to season up in the AHL, and which would be a great thing for him because – you know, some defensemen take a little longer than others. Some take a lot longer than others. Uh, it's not like you can just stick a guy in there like Kale McCarr did. So, but that's a that's a totally different uh, player. But Ball would be a great big physical, like Char style defenseman in today's game. I think if if they do get a Colin Miller in a trade. I I would be willing to part with the extra fourth round pick and a mid level prospect to shore up the pipeline. I think I would I would make that trade. I have a couple um, trade targets for defense here and uh, free agents. If you guys are interested in here, yeah, let's fire yes, it up. Yes, yeah, let's go. Yes. Let's go. Let's fire so it up. For the free agent defenseman, I have the one. I have Tory Krug. I just I figured that Petrangelo most likely is probably somehow going to stay in St. Louis. And if he does hit free agency, I just think Petrangelo is somehow, some way the Leafs are going to find a way to sign that guy. I just <laughs> yeah. have this weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. We, all, we all have this weird feeling. Joel Edmondson is another guy I have as a free agent. I feel like that's like the big stay-at-home physical defenseman that Fitzgerald was talking about. Edmondson was great with St. Louis before he got traded to Carolina. He was great in Carolina. But the th- – Three trade targets that I have for defense that I think the Devils could consider. And I know he was talked about when Taylor Hall was getting shopped. Uh, Noah Hannafin from Calgary. But the two mm-hmm. main ones that I have that I think the Devils should target for cap strap teams like St. Louis and Tampa Bay is uh, Vince Dunn and uh, Miguel Sergachev. Ooh, I like Sergachev. Those are two good choices, you know. Um, <laughs> I can't disagree with that. I mean, Don, you know, you know, you know, St. Louis is going to be strapped for cash and they want to keep Don and they want to keep Petrangelo, but they may only have, they may have to choose one. Um, do they go? I mean, Petrangelo, as Cam Jansen has said, is the heart and soul of that defense core. 
and they're going to build him a statue. Yeah, they want him there. Um, Vince Dunn is interesting. I like Vince Dunn. I've been a fan of Vince Dunn since he got into the league. He can score goals. He can score assists, especially power plays. Um, as for Sergeyev, I mean, the Lightning are another team cap strapped. They're going to have to start figuring out paying some guys. Um, you know, maybe you try to pick off a guy on their offense too. But um, I, you know, Sergeyev's name's definitely. I wouldn't be shocked if the Devils try to make a run at him. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the rival of Toronto tries to make a run and try to reacquire him. Would Montreal even take a run at him to try and get him back? Yeah, that's what I'm I, thinking, yeah. I, I've been saying this, like, I was interested a whole lot in Mikhail Sergachev before he was traded to Tampa Bay, and then once they traded him to Tampa Bay, I'm like, oh, he's probably not going back anywhere. But I do feel because for the next few seasons, the Tampa Bay Lightning are tight, like, super tight strapped. And they, they need a little loosening, and I think the Devils could make them an offer they can't refuse. And the Devils definitely have the assets with the three first-round picks, too. Well, right now it's officially, as of right now, it's two because the playing round is not the playoffs. So Vancouver has to get out of the playing round to make it three. Correct. And that's my understanding of how this is working. Now, they, they could completely change their minds a week from now. But Speaking of Tampa Bay, do you, what do you guys think of um, – he doesn't score as much, but he seemed like he was a big factor for Tampa when we played them in the playoffs. Um, Alex Kalorn, are you guys a fan of his? I think he's pretty physical – I think he can really drive a third line, second line. I think he would add a little extra depth and scoring and leadership to a team like New Jersey where they need help on the wing. Yeah. Yeah. I like Cologne. I've always been a fan of his. I think he's – the thing with Cologne, though, is I feel like, you know, we talk about players, products of a system. I think he's a system player in Tampa. I just don't know how he will produce outside of the Lightning. Because he fits so well with the guys they play with and in his role that I'm not sure if he's – I don't know if he can carry that to another team because of the talent that's around him. Because he's always playing with Sam Coast or Point or Tyler Johnson. so Exactly. He's not getting that here. I would go for Point. Oh, absolutely. I would go for Braden Point. I mean, I would go, I would go after Braden Point too, but <laughs> you know they're going to try to keep him. I mean, I've always been a fan of like like, you know, now that, you know – I've always been a fan of Paquette or Johnson. Like, those guys have been you – know, I've always the been triplets? high on those guys. Yeah, the part of the triplets line. Um, I've always been a fan of those guys. Some, Yeah, I, I think Paquette is definitely – he would definitely be the fourth-line guy that I would want there. I mean, Sorelli would be the guy, but Tampa's not getting rid of him. No, they're not. And I don't know about Andre Pallotta. I don't know if they're going to try to move him too. I, w- I would definitely – I would love Andre Plot though. That guy – but he's hit and miss. He's a hit and miss type of player. Like, one one couple weeks he'll go on a hot streak, and then, like, for the next, like, month and a half, he's he disappears. Yeah. He's too streaky. Yeah, Devil's got a lot of streaky players, though. That's like – Yeah, that was gonna, I was going to say that if one player goes streaking, the other doesn't. That's like a guy I have here for a free agent target with Mike Hoffman. Like he's he's a streaky guy, but 
but I don't think the Devils are going to want to pay guys that are over 30 years old. So like, that's why I have two trade targets here. I have his um, Kasperi Kapanen of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know Jersey Joe is a big fan of this guy as am I. And I think he's wearing out his welcome in Winnipeg. I would not be surprised with the ammunition the Devils have if they give Winnipeg a call and say, all right, Patrick Laine, let's make a deal. <laughs> the, 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 the new finish flash. I mean, look, I know my friend uh, in Saga 960, Dave Bass, will not be happy if Patrick Laine is traded out, out of Winnipeg. Um, look, I like Patrick Laine as much as the next guy. I don't, you know, it's going to be interesting because of, you know, the whole salary cap situation, like what they do going forward. I know it was, you know, a, a, a tough negotiation last time. Would I love to see Patrick Laine on the wing? Absolutely. That guy can fire a cannon. I just don't know if I uh, I see it. I could see Kapanen moving more than Line is because just the way, like you said, who are the Maple Leafs going to go after? And they need money off their books. I mean, they have a ton of guys on long-term IR right now. They're making this work somehow. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I know they don't want to part with Kasperi Kapanen, but um, push, comes might be one, push comes to the shove. He might be one of those guys that go or Andreas Janssen because they keep bringing in guys from overseas. And, you know, who's the odd man out there? The only thing – no, sorry, Joe. The only thing – This probably is Kapanen. The only thing that worries me about Janssen, Kapanen doesn't worry me. But the thing that worries me about Andreas Janssen is he is absolutely like, – and I've watched enough Leaf games to see it's the same thing with Zach Hyman. Those two, Janssen and Hyman, are a product of Austin Matthews and John Tavares. It isn't even funny. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain players in this league that click with just a certain team and a certain line, and – um, that's where I think the devil scouts have to be very spot on in particular, especially if Fitzgerald is going to make another big move. So I do see what Jake's pointing out in, in Andres Janssen. I do think, what was it? Uh, one of the Nylander brothers uh, from Toronto would be another ideal fit because of the recent uh, contract negotiations. I mean, Willie Nylander, I mean, you know, when the GM says he's not trading you, I bet dollars to donuts that eventually Nylander's going to find his way out of town. Um, yeah, because how many times did Mark Bergevin say that about his guys in Montreal and then they were traded that summer? Well, yeah, I mean, P.K. Subban, yeah, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, okay, yeah, Matt, he got traded. Ready, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he's traded. Yeah, he's traded. Uh, it, it's code word. It's code word. It's code, yeah. It's code for your get like no the best code word is all right vote of confidence. No, that means we have no confidence in you. That's exactly right. <laughs> As we saw in Buffalo with that dumpster fire. Oh, oh. it's worse. Oh. It's worse up in Ottawa, guys. It's almost as bad in Ottawa. With yeah, Eugene but Melnick. The, yeah, but with Melnick, Melnick's just an idiot. I just think like they they are building something good in Ottawa. At least they're doing it the right way. 
Right. Like we know they're like, yeah, we're bad and we're going to be bad, but we're going to make sure we sign these players to be our core and give fans hope. Buffalo just, I don't know what they're doing. Like, it's like we're retooling every three years and we just don't know what we're doing. And, you know, if Jack Eichel's on his third coach, fourth GM, it's like, all right, this guy wants to win. You heard how frustrated he was. You know, who's who else is they going to bring in? Um, and you bring in Jeff Skinner, or it worked for one year. You sign him to an eight-year contract, nine million dollars. Like why? And then they trade. That's trade, a lot of money. You trade Ryan O'Reilly. I know he wanted out of there, but you traded Ryan O'Reilly because you thought Casey Middlestat was a number two center when he wasn't even close to being a number two center. Right, and he wasn't they, even ready to be in the NHL. No. They rushed him. And I've seen enough of Casey Middlestat in the USA hockey tournaments and stuff like that. And he always looked great, you know, in his draft year and his, you know, timeline looked pretty good then. But when you rush a kid, whether it's a forward, a defenseman, or a goalie, and you have no patience whatsoever, you're going to mess with their career. Well, Joe, do you remember when um, – do you remember when the Pagulas took over the Sabres years ago? I do, yeah. Remember how they said – He okay, does better than I. We got money. We're going to spend the money. We're going to sign free agents. We're going to bring them in here. We're going to make them competitive. Okay, let's go sign Billy Leno and Christian Erhoff to 10-year yeah. contracts. Like, how did that work? And how about Kyle Ocposo? Yeah, that – well, that was – that's that's that that's that, that's like more of on ice because the kid has like concussion problems and he's got neuro issues in his you know head and stuff and it's it's a shame because he was actually a good player on the island, um, but again product of playing with John Tavares. Yeah, and say like and good thing with Buffalo like and, and another thing I'd be calling Buffalo would be the number one team I would be calling right now because they are. They are, like, jumping on pins and needles right now. Like, you might be able to get them at a vulnerable position with the new general manager that just took over. I mean, yeah, like, Colin Miller, you know, I, I'm not a – I don't know how I feel about Jake McCabe. I mean, he's okay. Risk the line in, he would be an upgrade probably on our defense. But as he – honestly, I'd be calling, I'd be saying, what do you want for Sam Reinhardt? Yeah, because I think we, that kid could use a new change of scenery. Absolutely. And we and we seen the Dylan Strome trade, you know, not long ago work for Chicago. And look, look at that as an example where you're taking a risk on other players that need changes changes of scenery for almost like, you know, the almost the same value, but they bring out each other's um, own juices and their own new teams and environments that you could help both teams in the same way, but um, you don't want to burn your your own relationship as a current GM with a new GM and, you know, ruin that relationship for the long term. No. I mean, look, for me, like, I was never a big – full disclosure, I was really never a big Casey Middlestack guy in, for USA Hockey. Yeah, he could put up the points, but I was like – uh, yeah, I don't really think he's going to be an NHL-type player. I was I was a little bigger, higher on Sam Reinhart, but, again, another player that was rushed through the system in Buffalo because, again, like New Jersey, they didn't really have – they needed to put him in the lineup uh, for some reason. Um, 
but like you said, perfect example, Dylan Strom trade, but he's playing with his buddy in Chicago and they're on the same line. So there's familiarity there. And, and if you can get a familiar, a familiar piece in New Jersey for a player, that helps. Speaking of, you know, before we uh, get into talking about, you know, the, the hub cities for the playoffs and the draft players who the devils could take in the draft. Um, I have a question for like both of you guys. Who do you guys think are the most likely on the Devils to be traded in the off season? Uh, I'll go ahead and, uh, and I'll go ahead and you tell can give you right me a now. couple options. It's okay. I'm not going to limit it to one. Uh, I could give you one right off the top of my head. I think Miles Wood is days are done in New Jersey. Uh, his I name is saying... oh, his name is was connected to so much at the trade deadline. I I just think I just think he's. He's too one-dimensional. His speed is great. He's just not developed the way that they need him to. Um, and I think his days are numbered in New Jersey. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, even though I think I think he still needs – I think he could still work out. I don't know, but they need help on defense. And do you really want to give up on him? A guy like Will Butcher, is he, are they going to give up on him? But he was a guy that said he wanted it um, – come to New Jersey from after being a Colorado draft pick. So do you give him another year or two? Joe? I believe in giving Butcher uh, another year. Um, one of my first sacrificial lambs I'll put out there definitely is Miles Wood. Um, he is streaky, but he does a lot of stupid penalties. I hate to admit it. You 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 got to stop, you know, running guys over and bloodying someone's faces. It's not the 1980s, Miles. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he, I just don't think he fit the team anymore. He takes a dumb penalty falls at such down. a bad time. He falls that, down way too much. Exactly, he does. I, I, I don't know if you agree with us on that pick, but I think uh, – I think that's the uh, that's the one that's number one on our list. That would yeah, he's definitely in the top you know two or three for me. The guy that I always every and Joe and I talk about this you know on a like a daily basis, um, constant basis. We can never figure out every single off season. We're both asking each other, is this the last year that Damon Severson is playing for the Devils? Because it always seems like that guy as well. Is dragged bingo dragged into rumors every single summer. Actually, you just hit the nail on the head for me for my second sacrificial lamb. It is Damon Searson. I do believe there are teams out there that will want a right-handed shot that will be willing to trade. And if if Buffalo is interested in getting a guy like him who is still, you know, we're worth just enough money to maintain that cap and maybe they want to trade him for Colin Miller at least and maybe a nice prospect or at least a player that is ready like maybe Sam Reinhardt or maybe I'm just trying to think on top of my head but not Rasmus Rissalainen I'm not quite sold on him so I do like Casey Middlestat if you could throw him in you know that'd be nice but Jake McCabe and Colin Miller would be nice. Um, for me, I, I, I mean, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on Severson yet because you're you have a strong right. Side. The problem is you traded two guy, you traded Vaughn, and who was on your right side. 
Um, and you had a strong right side. Um, Subban, yeah, he's there. Regard, it doesn't matter who the coach is. He's definitely on the decline. Um, maybe a new coach will help. Maybe he just didn't fit the system of Hines. I maintain that you need to have a guy like Severson around. I just like – I know he's had a down year and he's making mistakes and this and that, but guys have down years. He never went through that sophomore slump because he was playing well all the time. I think he has a bounce back year, and if you're going to trade him, you wait till the market is high. I can I can agree with that. The only thing I worry about with him, like for, with management with him, is that who on the roster that is that can we honestly consider moving that actually has a lot a pretty good amount of value. Yeah, I mean he's right now he's the only real guy that has value. I mean I'm gonna pull. Um, it up in front of me to see um, what who else is who else we can who else I can think of I mean I am throwing Connor Carrick I mean he's depth defenseman I mean I could I could see it if they end up doing it I could see it Um, but you know again you need depth on defense and something that you don't have like it depends on who they sign free agency wise, and who if they acquire anybody because like, and who they allow to bring up because right now as it is your defense at, at the end of the season was Butcher, Carrick, Cleason, Mermis, Mueller, Severson, and Subban. That's not scaring anybody. Yeah, when you read that out, that just makes me go, "Oh my, that is awful." That's bad. That yeah. is horrible. That is so bad. You don't, I, you don't, I do think you don't realize it when you're watching it on TV every night because you're so into the game. But oh my, that is horrible. That's a horrible. That's a horrible. Um, and 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 going back to lifers real quick. You know, Zajac said the other day he doesn't want to leave New Jersey. He wants to finish it out. And I knew, I knew with the new trade clause, like he had a chance to go to Toronto. He had a chance to go to the Islanders, but. You know, he committed to the Devils, and he wants to be here too. And you need a guy like that on your team. Um, he's good. Def- he's a good face-off guy. He can make the young guys – the young guys can learn from him. And you, he's a good third-line center. And let him finish out his career with the Devils. Speaking of Zajac, I want to follow up on that. Do you think Travis Zajac is a potential candidate to be the next captain of this team for a couple years? No, no. I think no. I, I think the, the guy I think is Nico. He it's Nico or Paul Mary. Those are the, the two. Those guys. are my two guys. Those are the two guys you, I've been hearing. I like that. I, I claim it's Nico just because I just think it's his team now. As much as I like Kyle Paul Mary, I just think you give it to a guy that already has a contract locked up. I mean, he would. Paul Mary said in his media conference today. I think he said if it happened, he would be honored to wear the C. Um, I think if they get a long-term deal with him done, I think then Paul Mary's definitely your captain. But it's either those two guys. I just don't see Zajac being the captain because he has one year left on his deal. Do they sign him to another extension? I think this will be his last year with the Devils. That's my... I think he plays out his contract yeah. and, and then they and then they decide to part ways or... Does he retire or something like that? But I just don't see Zajac being that guy. I think they got to give it to Nico Heischer. I mean, Jack Hughes will be he's 
probably going to be the more outstanding offensive player in two to three years. But I think after what we've seen from Nico from his time in, when he first came into the league and then how he really came into his own halfway through the year after Hall got shipped out, I think it's, it's Nico's team. Nico's the face of this team, and, and I think that's the guy you have to give it to. I think and he leads. He doesn't have to speak up all the time. He leads by example, and sometimes that's what you want in a captain. Yeah, I think that's right. what you need. You need that in a captain. I, I was going to say, like, in a cross-sport analogy, like, you know how Derek Jeter was to your Yankees? Yep. You know, he doesn't, oh, he doesn't speak Jeter. very much. Uh-huh. He doesn't speak, but he, he didn't really speak very much, but he he did a lot of actions on the field. And for when I see Nico Heischer, I see that Patrick Eliash, I see that Derek Jeter behavior in his, you know, young, you know, player mindset. And he does go out there. He leads by example. So very rarely does he get verbal, but I do believe he will be the captain. And I believe Paul Mary brings that jerseytude and that spice and uh, and fire to that um, to that team, and so I still keep the A with Paul Mary. Um, if I have to give another A out there to another player, uh, and and Severson still is here, I'd probably have to give it to him by default, just because it's tenure. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. I could see them maybe doing like rotating that third one around between like Zajac and Zuban and Severson. But going back to Elias real quick, you know, it's funny, even though he was a captain for a couple of seasons, he never really wanted it because he was more of a leader on the ice. He just, he never like really embraced having the C on his sweater. Like he was a leader, like he was a captain, but. And he led by example, but he just never – he was so quiet that he really didn't like being in front of the camera and, and doing all that stuff that a captain really needed to do. He just did it on the ice. He let his game talk. And I think when Ilyash was captain, I think where he started to go sour on not being named captain again was the way Sutter handled it when he was captain. Like, he just all of a sudden came, like, and stripped Patrick Ilyash of the C, and then he strapped it right onto Jamie Langenbrenner's um, jersey. Yeah. And I, no, that's nothing against Langenbrenner. I thought Langenbrenner was a great leader, but and then towards his end, obviously, he got sour, and he was moody and stuff. But, like, yeah, like you said, you never, ever had to worry about Patrick Ilyash helping a player, a young player, develop his game. He was, in my opinion, He's a Hall of Famer, hands down. Is he a first ballot? Probably not. Will he eventually get in? Yes, yes. I think he will. Absolutely. He led yes. by example, yes. and he was probably, in my opinion, he was one of the most underrated players in the NHL every single year. I agree with that. I'll, I'll, I'll back that up. I mean, I, I, everybody who asked me is like, oh, well, is Eliash going to get in? I said, he will. He is a Hall of Famer. He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he will get in. It will just take him time because he's one of those guys that you don't appreciate him until he's gone. And he's and he's always retired for a while, but I like the fact that the Devils have brought him back to coach these young players, come in and out every now and then. Like I like how he's working with the Czech World Junior team. He's got that hockey knowledge that is valuable to young players. And I think he'll go in. But I just I, don't think it'll be right away, Joe. That I've seen, Joe. That's a guy I think that I've said to you how many times. 
I think Patrick Ilyash is the guy that the Devils should hire as their power play coach. I believe yes, because, you know, the last two World Juniors, the 18s and U20s, we had Jim just refer to uh, about him being with the Czech national team. Um, Every time I see uh, Patrick on the bench, I always see that that fiery, intense player, but also level-headed. And when he just sees his guys like uh, Simon uh, Kubacek, who will probably go late in the fifth, seventh round of this draft, who I actually like, would be a great fit in the Devils for this draft. Uh, I do see uh, the way he develops. And um, with the way the Devils have those three picks, uh, possibly, uh, I could see them using one of those on Jan Mishak uh, because he has a lot of ties to the Czech team. And I believe Eliash would give the Devils intel, and I believe he should be a power play coach. Yeah, I, I would have no problem with him being a power play coach. I mean, Joe, how many times have I told you guys like that or Salvador or Stevens to come in and help run the defense? Like, it's these guys that, you know, Sal, you know, speaking of Salvador, like, you know, he was definitely underrated as defenseman for the Devils. I thought he, was, he did pretty well for them. But his vision and how he breaks th- things down on the MSG network is really insightful. And, and he, you know, I mean, these TV jobs are TV jobs, but – if the Devils had asked, asked him to come in, I think he would pick up things and, and help them tremendously. I don't yes, know. And, we for- and yes, we all forget how how great of a veteran before the last few years of uh, Salvador's contract was. Like when you look at Salvador when he was on the Devils in that playoff push. He did drive the offense, and he did score against L.A. on a nice little uh, shot on net that came from what we call low-danger scoring. And he knows how to break down plays, both on TV and from, you know, being, you know, side-by-side on the ice, you know, during the games and explaining to Erica Walker and the fans what, um, what is going on between the benches and on the ice. And his mind is very special and I think he should have some sort of uh, either player development job or skills development job or something that is relevant to the Devils team. Yeah, definitely. I I, I could see him sticking around for a while, um, whatever they do um, long-term, whether it's, you know, Salvador or whoever, but again, Elias, one of those guys that you definitely need to keep around and, it's just glad, it's just good he has ties to the team still. And um, so, you know, that's about, you know, the, the gist of it for, you know, Patrick Elias. You know, again, at least, you know, we got a lot of hockey coming now. A lot of news has been breaking because we have hockey returning. And, you know, we're talking about hub cities and, you know, one of the biggest hub cities, you know, the report came out, Las Vegas Journal Review said Vegas will be one of the hub cities, which, you know, you not you and, and I were talking with Dennis about, Joe, in regards not to hub ago. city. Not long ago, a few episodes back. And, you know, Vegas has been always one. NHL likes Vegas. Players like going to Vegas. And the other now, after what the Canadian government said today, even though the border will be closed to you know, to non-essential personnel through July 21st, it's not going to affect the NHL because uh, Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau said that these players can, like, cross the border 
So that opens up Toronto and the rest of the hub cities in Canada. And my gut and my people have been telling me that those are the two most likely um, hub cities. And I just want Jake to weigh in on what he thinks about that as well. I can confirm that that Toronto will most likely be the other hub city besides Las Vegas. And the reason why I think that will be the hub city is people forget that one of the league offices is also in Toronto. That makes that makes total sense. I mean, I know Colin Campbell referenced having the World Cup of Hockey there in 2016, and it, they, ha- they have a lot of stuff there on today. So it definitely makes sense. And I know from people I've talked to that they, NHL wants a Canadian city involved. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought it would have been – the two options for Canadian cities I, I had heard I would be would have been Edmonton and Toronto. So, yeah, I honestly do feel that it would be Toronto as the one of the other hockey meccas in the world besides Montreal, and it would be great to have Toronto have it, especially uh, for people who haven't seen you know their Leafs play in a long time. It would be great to have it especially not too far from uh, the Great Lakes uh, cutting over to the American border. So if there is some sort of virtual, you know, watching, I mean, there's probably not going to be fans at the games, but if there is somehow, it's likely going to be very sparse. Yeah, I think that's what's most likely it's going to be. I don't think you're going to see fans for the first couple rounds of the playoffs. I don't even think you're going to see fans in the stands. By some miracle, if things work out by a Stanley Cup final, um, that may happen. But my understanding of everything is that they want – is that Hub City 1 is going to host qualifying round exhibition games and – um, the first and second round of the playoffs. Hub City 2 will do the, the same as I just mentioned, plus the conference final and Stanley Cup final. And my guess would be that Vegas hosts is Hub City 2 and hosts all that, and Toronto's Hub City 1. But then again, you never know. And, Jake, what do you think of um, the possibility of the Stanley Cup being in Toronto? As long as the Leafs don't win the Stanley Cup and I don't have to hear about it for the rest of my life, then I'm okay. <laughs> I, I I'm love gonna, that response. I'm going to tell you right now, if the Leafs – it would be hilarious if they did win and no fans got to see it. I think that would be kind of funny. But I'm going to tell you right now, if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, I'm avoiding that city like no tomorrow because there is going to be things getting burnt down. I, I've always said if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, the Air Canada Center is getting burnt to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, do you do you think, um, in your opinion, um, or if you've heard anything, is any rumor, truth to the rumors that the East will be the West City and the West will be in the East? That's, and that's what I've heard. I've heard all the Eastern Conference games will be played in, um, in Vegas and the Western Conference games will be played here. I still don't understand like that what their philosophy is there. Maybe it's because they don't want to give. I think it's because they don't want to give like teams that are 
in the Eastern Conference playing in the Eastern Conference, the advantage, like, you know, to go home and see their families and have a, you know, a good night's sleep and stuff in their own home and stuff like that. They're making it a more challenging thing, but that that's my perspective on it. I think they're trying to disadvantage like each team from the East and the West that way. But you but, mean negate? Yeah. Neg- but they're not. Yeah. But they're not leaving the hotel rooms anyway. Yeah. So right. Correct. They're all in a bubble. So why not just have the TV for TV purposes? Have the, all the Eastern teams playing the East and have all the Western teams playing the West? I agree. I mean, I mean, Cole Campbell yeah. did say we're gonna have six games a day pretty much for the first couple weeks of the season because their games are gonna be staggered twelve, four, and eight. So I mean, it's gonna be, you know. It's going to be nonstop hockey. And I'm not going to complain about the nonstop hockey either. But like I've I've talked about with you know a couple people that I don't I don't agree with the whole 24 team format thing for the playoffs. I don't agree with rewarding teams like you know Montreal and Chicago the, and stuff. The Rangers, the rain, the Rangers. Of course, I have to throw them in there. I mean, look, I could make the argument more for the Rangers being there than Chicago and Montreal because the Rangers are only a couple of points out. If they were going to do like a 7, 9, 8, 10, I would have been okay with that. Um, I know why they did it. And I know nobody's going to – even Dennis is like, oh, conspiracy theory, you know, this and that. I, I still believe in my heart of hearts that they – want the original six teams in because they need it for TV. Absolutely. It's their market. It's what drives up their ratings. How do they make their money? I just I, I'm I'm with you though. I don't agree with rewarding bad teams to get into the playoffs because if if this is I, I hope that I don't think it will be their format going forward. Maybe No it won't be. Because if you if if they decide and I hope it's not and it probably won't be I would don't like the idea of this format because you're rewarding bad teams. Because if this was the format, hypothetically speaking, going forward, a team could say, yeah, well, you know, we'll just go 500 this year and we'll make the playoffs. Yeah, that's, yeah. Exact, that's exactly how I feel. It's it's like you, you were given, like, like, less change than you were owed back. That's how I feel. Like, the, like those last few teams should have not made – by default because it just doesn't really make much sense other than, you know, extra eyeballs. But I still feel there will be extra eyeballs watching every bit of those playoff games or playing round games um, going in because no one else has much to watch or much to do other than going to the beach if you're on the coast. Well, as I said on the nightcap recap last night when my buddy Lefty Joe heard me say this, the NHL has an opportunity in the United States to become second in the pecking order of viewership if the NBA doesn't come back. And we know Major League Baseball is not coming back. No. Um, by some miracle, mm. if they figure this out. But right now, they're not coming back. I've always stated that the National Hockey League is three behind the football in the NBA. And the, this is in the United States. It's different in Canada. Hockey's number one. Yeah. Um, but – they have a chance to do something here. And if you can get eyeballs on your product and a little tidbit here. So training camps open July 10th. They'll know by July 20th when they're, when players will be ready to start. That's the date they're aiming for. 
to to figure out this. So that's ten days of training camp. These guys are in you know pretty good shape. You're telling me they need three weeks. You're, you're going to see hockey before the end of July. It's going to happen. I, it's going to happen. Like I will I will say this: Americans are thirsty for entertainment and exciting sports, and there's no other exciting sport. Than hockey. I mean, I know there's don't don't ask don't ask NFL. Don't ask Max Kellerman that. Just don't. Oh, Max Kellerman's an idiot. That guy's but an you, idiot. But but he's again, a biggest I, idiot. But like I tell every, I told everybody on Twitter, you guys all fell for it because it, he he made a stupid comment. That's his job to make stupid comments and hot takes, and everybody bit on it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Everybody bit on it, and I was like, yep. He's going to say it, but but this, then again, you know, this is the same program that had P.K. Zuban on, Evander Kane. Like, they've had players on. Don't tell me nobody watches hockey, but, you know, you know, 20,000 fans. So, you know, 20,000 fan base that goes to every game. Yeah, people care will, about hockey. I will, I will tell you this, though. If the NHL can get Twitch, they can get YouTube TV and mul- multiple other outlets like Fubo TV and some other things – I bet you the ratings for the NHL will shoot up, just like the 8 million viewers Anya Packer was telling us about uh, for the NWHL for the women's games. And that should actually take effect sooner. Well, that's interesting you just brought up TV because uh, I was told today that the NHL TV rights are on hold as of now. So at the end of this season, the NHL does not have a TV package as of next season. And what does that mean for you, Jake? What does that mean for me? Well, that means that's that's for the United States. That's the United States deal because I was gonna there. I was gonna say because if that means no hockey for me, that means that I actually have to like you know do stuff around the house and stuff. That's my way of getting out of things is watching hockey. But I'm gonna have I'm gonna have my hands tied here pretty soon here in the next you know five weeks or less because. I got my, I got me and my wife. Actually, we got our first, uh, we have our first child on the way. So, all right, congratulations. There we go. There. New Devils fan on the way. Absolutely. There, my my mother in law is coming up in a week, and she's trying to make the the baby a Leafs fan. I'm just not having any part of that. No, that's your. No, this no. is your house, Jake. You know, the I, rules. it's your house. I put the foot down, guys. Don't worry. you put the foot down? <laughs> it's a devil. It's Devils fan or bust. That is no. There's no. Uh, there's no Leafs fan here, all right? Actually, I got to give a shout-out to my buddy Derek, who lives up there. I met him at the Leafs-Devils game last year. He got, a, he was giving me, you know, we were giving the, each other the business during that Hall of Fame game, but he was, you know, we were having fun. And uh, no, just a good group of guys up in Canada. I always have fun uh, going up to Canada when I'm up in there uh, watching games. So uh, it's a little home away from home. It stinks that I wasn't up there for the draft this year and, you know, just can't get up there right now. Don't be afraid yeah. next time you come up, Jim, to give me a shout. If I'm going to the game, we can meet up. Yeah, definitely. We, I will. We'll have absolutely. to, do, a pod- we'll have to yeah. do an organized podcast in Canada one of these days. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a shout out. No doubt. I'll give you a shout for sure. Joe, um, and Joe, were you on a – I don't know if you guys want to go into this, but do you guys want to talk about maybe who um, who the Devils could take with their selections in the draft? Because I know after yes. that, I know, yeah, I know, I know. After that, I know Jim had some stuff he wanted to get at for me, like worst playoff losses. And all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. 
Hold on. Before we get into this, let me just plug myself in. I'm just going to take off my headset right now and just, like, plug in because my phone's dying. You, you need to get a, bat- a, a battery case charger for your smartphone. <laughs> I have mine. I, I, I made sure mine was plugged in before, as soon as I got home. I was fully charged. <laughs> I'll let you guys talk for a sec. I just gotta, I just gotta step up out for a quick sec. Yeah. So hopefully Jim doesn't uh, lose power, and I'm the only one talking. So it would just, it would just be a Jersey Joe quarter then. I'm not going back to that. But um, it certainly has been an interesting year, um, both positive and negative in Devil's World, um, but also the NHL with this whole. COVID-19 that it seems that, you know, there are different ways that the league is starting to be re-innovating the way they want to do TV packaging. And you know what? I'd rather have multiple streams, especially, you know, if someone is a fan of Disney Plus, um, it would be great to see ESPN under Disney and all the other channels, kind of like how the NFL does. And then NWHL has... Twitch, and I think that I think the NHL should use Twitch and all these other forms because Amazon uses Twitch, which would be great for ratings. And you know, if I had to be an owner like Josh Harris, I would definitely put my money on you know multiple streaming platforms versus doing an all exclusive uh, package for the NHL. And it's important because you want to build more revenue streams for hockey-related revenue. So, if any of you guys are still listening, I'm still. Um, I'm just listening to you continue to go on. So, so Jake, just chime in on that part. What's that? Sorry, I stepped. I stepped out um, of the room for a sec. I was saying, like, um, for the NHL to have multiple uh, networking streams, like, let's say they get back ESPN, they add Twitch, they add all these other extra platforms um, in the U.S. and possibly international. Um, do you see hockey-related revenue uh, going upwards in the next new uh, TV negotiation contract? I think so. That's a hard question to answer. I ESPN, no, because when's the last time ESPN actually really, you know, gave a crap about hockey? I think it was like 2004. Yeah, so then Twitch, Periscope, you know, you see more people do games the odd time on, like, YouTube for, like, MLB and stuff like that. But I think you should see more games now. Like, some, like, uh, I know Major League Baseball was doing it with Amazon Prime. They were streaming games on there. Um, Some teams do Facebook and stuff like that. So... I, what about I TikTok? Think, I think I think it would. I just I just wonder with all this pandemic thing going on if that's going to impact you know the revenue going up for certain things, especially if there's not fans in the arenas. That's the most important thing because the fans that buy stuff like the jerseys, the hats, the food, the alcohol, all that stuff at the games. That's what brings in all the revenue for like those teams. That's what's helping them pay their revenue and stuff like that, right? And the salaries and all that stuff. So. With no fans, I just wonder if it would potentially take a hit. Yeah, like um, Cam Jansen said, like, you know, 
he doesn't know if it's going to go down or stays the same or whatever. Um, Dennis Bernstein, who was on our podcast, said, you know, um, if they didn't play the playoffs, you know, for this upcoming season being now, uh, it would have been at least 35% uh, escrow. So it's good they're keeping it down uh, for a number standpoint for people who don't really give a damn. Um, That and taxes matter when you're both player and players association and an owner. Yes. And those are the small intangibles that people, you know, either don't give a, give a bleep or they forget. Yeah, and sometimes all of them care about is um, what money is going in their pocket instead of, you know, improving things and all that kind of stuff. They don't they – don't, some care about the money for themselves. They're greedy. Yeah. Greedy, greedy. That's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, it it certainly is um, when owners used to be very greedy, but it seems like other owners uh, are becoming more aware of what their um, what their season ticket holders are starting to say, and they're having their word on certain things. And I'm just trying to patch in Jim again because he just uh, fell out not long ago. So, so, do you want to wait for him to talk about the draft and stuff? Or? Yeah, we 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 can stall it out. And I would I would like to say, who are some of your ideal players this um, off season uh, that you think you might want to touch on a little bit more? Uh, I I think for, for as for the Devils, if they stay at six, the three guys for me are. Alexander Holtz, um, his intangibles for the game. He's he can he gets open in a variety of ways. He can score from anywhere. Lethal shot. He can play left wing, right wing. I'd say he's besides Cole Perfetti, he's probably the best. Holtz is the best sniper in the draft. Um, compare NHL comparable for me for Holtz would probably be um, Philip Forsberg. To me, he kind of re- his shot reminds me of Line A. Yeah, except he has better skating. Except he has better skating than Line A when I see him. And so, if if Lucas Raymond goes before, I would definitely take up on Holtz. I I do like the fact that you can still let him play a year in uh, the Swedish Hockey League, which is and not have to. What's the Devils need to do with their players? They need to learn to develop them a little better. And I'm glad you touched on Raymond because that was the next guy I had on my list. Um, and he's he's versatile. He can play anywhere, left wing, right wing, playmaker. And he just – that guy – the skill that guy Pat plays with is so amazing. And I just – I have this feeling that he's going to drop in the draft because he didn't have the greatest year in the Swedish Hockey League. But the playmaking skills he has, like Artemi Panarin and Mitch Marner, I think if uh, if the Devils can get a player that can play like that in that kind of category for an elite player, I think they'll sign up for that every day of the week. And they need wingers. The Devils need right wingers and left wingers to go with Hughes and Heischer. So I think those two guys would be the perfect fit for them. And the, yeah, the Devils and- have always liked European and Swedish hockey players, so... 
I believe it fits both sides of the coin. And yeah, so Jim is charging his phone, so but he can still talk. So um, I sent him the re-invite back. So um, that's why it's the two of us for the time being. Okay. Um, so back to what I I think is going to happen at 10. I, I'm kind of on and off with Yaroslav Oskarov because, you know, I do like, uh, what's his name, the goaltender Samuel Clave uh, from the Oceanic uh, of Ramuski. And I do think he's a really great uh, goaltender. And he is actually six foot four and he does have really good reach. And the Devils do like goaltenders that size. He usually is projected to go in the middle of the second to third round. And I believe the Devils could use capital on him. Yeah, I'm, I don't know what to think on the Askarov thing. The, the one more guy that I had for the Devils at six was Marco Rossi, the five foot. 10 Austrian center. He's a, he's like Nick Backstrom. And I think uh, Marco Rossi is going to be a number one center in the NHL. I mean, you can never have enough depth at any position. You can switch them to wing. You can figure out all the rest later. But yeah, as for 10, I mean, if, if you're sold on taking a goalie, then I mean, Askarov is definitely your guy. Like I'm not going to sit here and deny that he's not a superstar. Like, you know, I mean, me as a former goalie, I've, I like to follow the goalies closely, and I think side to side, everything he does with his angles, his focus, his vision, his glove hand, I think he needs he needs time to develop, but I think you can put him in the KHL. You could take that risk in the KHL, but the Russian factor in there, how you don't know if they're going to come back over. But then again, the Devils had so many goaltenders in the 90s. They had Burke and Dunham and Terreri and – they still ended up taking a guy at 20 named Martin Broder, And then last time I checked, that obviously turned out really great for them. So you can never have enough depth at any position. I mean, if you're comparing Askarov to any player, it's probably a Vasilevsky or a Carey Price. But, I mean, the way I think the Devils will, might end up going at 10. And, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm sold on him or not. I, maybe I need to watch more tape on him, but. Jake Sanderson, the two-way defenseman from the U.S. program, he can quarterback a power play, can shut down his skating, his unreal, his vision, his shot. And Sanderson reminds me of uh, Winnipeg defenseman Josh Morrissey. Just what are your thoughts on that? I really like uh, Jake Sanderson. Um, Knowing that he's a big physical uh, left-handed defenseman, he can really be mobile and he – does look like Morrissey and he does remind me of a younger uh, Ryan McDonough and it's great to see that kind of guy who's well positioned and he can be physical and yes his father was a physical presence um, in the NHL and was mentioned on Spit and Chicklets you know for Jeff Sanderson so the, the, the bloodline is there the physicality is there his offense is growing so I think a Having him in North Dakota would be a great thing for him to season up there. Um, who else at ten I would go for? Oh, I have Jack. I have Jack Quinn written down here. I, that guy's game absolutely like his senses, his shot. Um, obviously, he was familiar with um, Mitch Holster when he was in our system in Ottawa, and Kevin Ball playing in Ottawa. So you know, the Devils and their staff has seen him. 
Um, he just his whole game, his shot. That guy is a he's a goal scoring machine. He just scores goals, like fifty two goals, a hundred points in Ottawa, and his game reminds me. I know it reminds Craig Button, um, as well as uh, comparable to David Pasternak. I mean, anybody to take a player like David Pasternak to have that skill set would probably would be a good idea in my hands. Devils need goal scoring. What better guy to draft if he's there at 10 than Jack Quinn? I'd like to know Jim's thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just actually texting him. Yeah, I'm just trying – I just text him, tell me what you want right now because he, according to his phone, he can't uh, reconnect for some reason. I don't know what it is, but – um. I will – okay, so who was the player that you just said? Um, Jack Quinn. On Jim's – on Jack Quinn. Well, he he's, he's telling me uh, in the sixth spot he likes Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz. Perfect. So we're all on the same page. That's good. Yeah. We, yeah, I've just messaged him saying we just agreed on on them at six. Um, yeah, just trying to make sure. Um, and it, and uh, it, it's Sanderson and uh, what was it? Um, Quinn. I got to ask. Jack Quinn. Yeah, and I'm just asking that to Jim. So, what about yeah, just, what about 17? Who'd you have at 17? Seth Jarvis. Seth Jarvis. I would absolutely. I think Seth Jarvis is going to be a, is going to be the steal of the draft. Whoever gets Seth Jarvis is getting an absolute steal. See, I went. I have, go ahead. I absolutely think of him as like a more electric version of Alexander DeBrincat and a little bit more like uh, Tyler Johnson in a way. And this kid is dynamite, you know, with the Portland Winterhawks. And. He just he lo- he looks smooth, shifty. Uh, Jim says I also like Rossi. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Marco Rossi as well. Absolutely big fan of Marco Rossi. He led the so OHL we, in scoring. He doesn't have anything else to prove. Yeah, I think they should have a AHL clause that would allow players like him and Quinn um, to be able to assimilate to and season up that before they get that nine games up clause that, you know, Lou Lamarillo used to mess with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, what about for, for like 17, the guys I have is Caden uh, Gould, uh, William Wallander, but the main guy, the two main guys I have is um, I think it's the Russian Roman Amarov. And uh, I think German, Lucas Reichel. Lucas Reichel, I'm a huge fan of that guy. And Jim will probably agree, and you might probably will as well, for the Devils' future and for them to have sustained success for the next five to ten years, they need to not only hit on one of these draft picks, they need to hit on two of the three draft picks. And if obviously we all hope, they hit on all three of them, but they got to hit on at least one and more so two out of the three if they want to have any success moving forward. This is the drive yes. for them. 
I believe this draft is similar in a way to this generation's of what 2003 was to that era. And I think 17 years later, you have a lot of really great uh, wingers and centers. And I do like Caden Goulet. I like the way he can skate up with the puck and he can be a good, you know, two-way defenseman. Um, Wallander, I do like. He's He's already a big guy. And he can, you know, move the puck up at ease. And he does play for a really dysfunctional team in Moto, uh, which doesn't always benefit. But he does learn how to deal with all these problems in that development team for the under-20s. So if he can, you know, learn to be a really well-improved defenseman in the Swedish Hockey League, um, he can really do wonders uh, not being rushed and the Devils are doing just that and coming to think about it um, I do I do like uh, what was it Amirov does look like a good guy that would be there um, at 17 Great. Uh, I still like Jan Mishak yeah I like Mishak I think he would be good I'm also a fan in the teens if he's there of um He's probably there in the twenties. Is uh, Hendricks Lapierre, and um, I, yes, please. And Braden, uh, Braden Schneider, the defenseman. I think the Devils need to address their defense. I don't. I know Chris uh, was all said it on uh, the point he was on with you guys. He doesn't think that the Devils um, have Askarov like they'll they're in a, they'll take Askarov because I think they're confident in Blackwood. I, I agree with that. Maybe if he's available at the Vancouver pick, maybe. But and I know it's obviously good. The more first round picks you have the better. I think I think for the Devils, like they're almost they might be better off if the uh Vancouver pick went to next year because then it's unprotected. But I mean you can you can always have it as trade bait if you have it. Right. Yeah, so there'll be like multiple firsts in 2021 or multiple seconds and multiple thirds, uh, considering what's going on. And and uh, Jim messaged me about defensemen there um, at 17. I think we just touched on those. Yeah, so uh, I'm just messaging him about that. Ask, and, uh, ask Jim. Like, I, I didn't write him down <clears throat> on my list of players for number six. Because I don't, I don't know how the Devils feel. I think it's such a stacked offensive top offense, um, top ten. I don't think they would go the route, but for some reason, I have this funny feeling, and I don't know. I like are the Devils considering Jamie Drysdale if he's there at six. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think. Well. I think they I have to go offense, but I think I mean the idea of taking a potential Sergey Zubov like number one defenseman and Jamie Drysdale is um, it's got to be very I think he's, tempting. I think he's I think he's the exception in this year's draft where there aren't that very many defensemen, and of course he's really good with his feet laterally. He's very smart. He's very you know good at reacting to where you know the puck should be and where he will be, you know, predicting the offense and the tempo of the game. And he really did that for team Canada. 
as you can see, he got the gold. So, and I will give I'll give a little tidbit from the tidbit from the uh, 2017 draft, the year the Devils took Nico Heischer. Uh The Coburg Arena, so about 15 minutes from where I live. I used to live in Coburg. Um, they were hosting the uh, RBC Cup. And uh, Ray Shiro was actually, I didn't see him. I wasn't at the arena, but he was in Coburg at the arena because um, Kale McCarr was playing for, uh, was playing in that tournament. And I will tell you this, the, the, De- the Devils seriously did consider taking Kale McCarr number one overall ahead of Nolan Patrick yeah. and Nico Heischer. But they decided one to of, go with Nico because they needed to build their centers. Right. And we actually know someone behind the scenes who said that, you know, the Devils were leaning between Heischer and uh, and Makar. And, yeah, I can see why they picked Heischer at that point. You know, um, sometimes you're not always sure about um, a defenseman coming up from the – AJHL um, going to UMass Amherst and UMass Amherst really benefited Makar as we all know to this day. And I think him and Quinn Hughes are going to be one of the top defensemen. Uh, Although Adam Fox is trying to make a name for himself, uh, the kid across the river. Um, I do want to say this though. Um, Jim says we will uh, ask you more questions and other things. Uh, for another time for an upcoming podcast. So, um, because he got cut off. So, okay. Plus, you know, so this is, this was a really good uh, showing today. And, you know, I just, I just, before we go, I just want to say to both of you, um, thanks for uh, having me on the uh, podcast. And I want to give, um, Lauren the Warrior on Twitter, a shout out as she is in the hospital recovering and she's had a seizure and she's battled some health issues over the past couple of years. So I just want to give a shout out to her and uh, say, let's go Devils. And here's to a, hopefully a speedy and a happy recovery for you and all your family. And I appreciate and you of guys. Course, I would like to, go ahead. I would like to say this to Lauren, you know, I used to have epilepsy. I still take my medicine to control it. Um, I am a Devils fan, as you know. Uh, Jake is a Devils fan. Jim is a Devils fan. We also believe in the good of people. And um, we saw the goodness of hockey where um, the Blues embraced Layla Anderson. And the and the Blues won the Cup. I'm not saying the Devils are going to win the Cup anytime soon. But when you're healthy and – the Devils do win a cup. Maybe Cam Jansen will party with you. And um, I did see that he liked that message on Twitter um, because Cam is a really great guy. Um, having, you know, the Devils being a great organization and taking great responsibility of their fans, um, I would like to have to hear from Lauren, you know, when she's properly recovered, you know, have her on the show to – have her talk about her experiences as a Devils fan growing up and dealing with adversity. We talk about adversity in this sport. Um, I think we all could chime in about that. Yeah, I think she's she's battled through a lot of adversity. She continues to fight on a day-to-day basis, you know, not only for her life, what she was going through and everything else. And I can just imagine how not only her, but her entire family has felt through 
this entire thing, even especially with the pandemic going on everywhere. So I say to her, keep up the good fight. You have a huge heart. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, Joe, Jim, and I can get you on the podcast here at some point when you're all recovered and feeling better. Yes, and uh, I would like to say thank you to our listeners for supporting us and, uh, you know, even dealing in these hard times. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is the Heads Up Hockey Podcast. Have a wonderful evening. Peace out.